Welcome to episode 26 of Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women and their parents to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. I composed the outline for this week's episode a couple of weeks ago from my back porch on what was a gorgeous first day of spring. I wiped down the porch furniture, blew off some old brown and crusty oak leaves that persist every year until the new buds finally push them off the branches where they descend upon our yard and onto our deck. Robert Frost's famous poem, Reluctance. You guys ever hear of Reluctance by Robert Frost? Can you? Yes. So Winnie nodded the head. <laughs> I did. <laughs> the, as they told me in law school, the court reporter can't detect or can't record a nod of the head <laughs> other than to say she nodded her head. So you know Reluctance. Mm -hmm. Do you have it memorized? Oh, no. Oh. Well, it captures the essence because there's a line in that that says, the leaves are all dead on the ground, save those that the oak are keeping. To ravel them one by one and let them go scraping and creeping. Out over the crusted snow while others are sleeping. Well, I'm here to acknowledge and affirm, ladies and gentlemen, that Robert Frost was correct. Those darn oak leaves hang on forever. 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 That was a Sandlot reference for anyone who didn't know from the movie The Sandlot. Character squints, and he's describing how long the dog has been chained on the other side of the fence. So, Winnie and Lynn, I think you should watch that movie. Maybe I will. <laughs> In any event, I want to begin our discussion this week with a question for icebergs. And by the way, our iceberg Roger, because he was late to the studio, he now sits across from me. And um, Winnie is to my right. And Lynn is to my left. So a little different dynamic in the room today. We'll see if it makes any difference in the content or the quality of the content. <laughs> words. What are words? Do you need a clock? No. Um, concepts or ways to convey ideas. That's a really smart answer. Smart sounding answer. Mm -hmm. What aren't words? Uh, they're not the real thing. They're not the real thing. That's right. In in what sense? I mean, they're they're really a word. Yeah, the can, word is a. Mm -hmm. But the word for something, like the word for a phone, is not a phone. It just describes a phone. That's right. So words are not reality. They're the concepts to describe the reality. Right. You can't see the words in the sense that you can't see what they describe. If I say car, right? I, I say that word, Winnie. What do you think of? Think of mine. Maroon Toyota Avalon. <laughs> Is that very old? <laughs> so that's not the car that you would like to have. That's the car that you are required to have because mm -hmm. you're at the stage of life where you've got to take what you can get, right? Yep. <laughs> My first car was a Ford Escort. It was used. It was a five-speed. It was newer than my then fiance's now wife, mother of my six children, 
but yeah, a Ford Escort. I think I paid a couple thousand dollars for it. It was in a, a grandmother's garage, so it was well taken care of. She didn't drive it that much. But uh, how about you, Roger? When I say the word car, what's the first thing that conjures up in your mind? Um, probably I'm picturing my sister's Bronco. A Bronco. Ford Bronco. A big Bronco or a little Bronco? Nope, tiny one. Ford Bronco Sport. Oh, this Bronco Sport. How about you, Lynn? What do you think of when I say car? C-A-R. I honestly just think of my dream car of airport stairs. Airport stairs? Wait, that's like the movie Liar, Liar. Some idiot just hijacked a flight of stairs. Have you ever seen the movie Liar, Liar? Jim Carrey? No. He drives... A flight of stairs. He drives a flight of stairs down the runway chasing after a plane because his family that he's trying to reconcile with is on the plane. So he, you can picture these airport stairs going down the runway next to a plane that's taxiing. And he, <laughs> it's, it's unrealistic because he speeds it up and sw- goes under the wing and comes up. <laughs> he he's knocking on the yeah, window. He goes up the stairs and he's driving it from the top of the stairs and it's like swerving. That's so funny I that mean, you said that, Lynn. There's a lot of pros and cons, but the pros are, you know, you don't have to find seats when you go to an outdoor event. Nice. Be extra <laughs> tall. I would appreciate that when I was younger, especially. I was always too small to see over all the tall people that sat in front of me. So words are concepts. They're useful, necessary um, to describe and interpret the particular objects we see. So they are tools, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tool, tools for organizing and categorizing the real things. So we would say that they are tools of what then? Communication. Tools of communication and therefore tools of Um, knowledge. (laughs) They're a means to knowing, right? But the words are not the thing known, are they? No. Mm -mm. The words are not the object. The words are not the reality. If words were reality, what would be the point, for example, of having different tongues, different languages to describe the same object or the same category of objects. For example, in English, we use the term water. In Spanish, you would use the term agua. And they're two different words to describe the same thing, which is what? A molecule of H2O. (laughs) You were about to say water, weren't you? No, I was actually, I was going to say a liquid, which you drink, but you know, your definition was better. (laughs) I had time to think it out. So use of different terminology to identify the same object or category of objects is what makes language so useful as a means of knowing things. And the use of different terminology doesn't just manifest itself in different languages. We use different terminology to describe the same object within the same language, depending on our audience. For example, we might an adult might use the term toilet, where parents might describe the same object to their young children as a potty. But there's no debate, is there, about the object that both of these words describe, right? Mm-hmm. In your mind, you can conjure up whether you say toilet or potty, you can conjure up what that is in your mind, right? Yeah. Okay, so all of this is just a warm-up to bring context to our discussion after the break. When we return, we're going to confront how the world is turning language on its head in order to achieve a predetermined outcome of its own choosing. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional, Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media 
Tennessee stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. My name is Kevin Kukaji. I am your host, and sometimes you can hear our icebergs chewing pretzels, potato chips, swallowing bits of water, and sometimes chewing on a Kit Kat. Roger actually delayed. Maybe you had a longer commercial break than normal because Roger was still chewing on his Kit Kat. <clears throat> Before the break, we were talking about how words are useful tools for identifying particular objects, but that the words themselves are not the reality they define. We agreed that language abounds with different terminology to describe the same thing so that knowledge of that thing may continue, regardless of the culture or age group among whom the particular object is being discussed. Well, today, unfortunately, we are confronted by a very troubling trend where many people are resorting to using the same words to describe very different things. For example, the term marriage, an institution whose definition one man and one woman, was established by the one who created it, that is, the triune God of Scripture, has in recent years been used as a means of describing homosexual union, lesbian union, or even really to identify any two people cohabitating under the law. We see a similar trajectory with words like sex, gender, and even race, where the objective and visible reality to which the words, these words apply has been replaced with a subjective definition determined by how one feels. Richard Weaver identified this trend more than 50 years ago when he wrote, and if you know it, you can quote it with me, when words no longer correspond to objective realities, it seems no great wrong to take liberty with words. From this point on, faith in language as a means of arriving at truth weakens until our own age, filled with acute sense of doubt, Looks, looks for a remedy, remedy in the, the new science, science of, of semantics. semantics. Roger had a head start. <laughs> yes. Actually, give Roger a goal horn for that. Excellent. All right. So to discuss this with our icebergs today, we're going to enter the... Houses of Analysis. Lynn, you're sitting very quietly over there, so I'm going to direct this first question to you. Why do you think this is happening? this shift from using different words to describe the same object to now using the same word to describe entirely different particulars? I honestly think it started a long time ago, and it started with reducing the depth of words. Um, for example, I know that we use the word love a lot in our culture now. Like, you can be like, oh my gosh, I love this dress, Right. But it doesn't mean the same thing as it if, as it would if you were saying I love my parents or I love um, I go I don't know my boyfriend you know it's very different um, because we tend we tend to water things down so much because it just makes it more comfortable to talk about I suppose and I think it started a long time ago if you listen to people talk from like I don't know a hundred years ago for example they were very direct and very specific with what they were saying and I think that over time as we started to water these down I think people started thinking well now we can use them for other things too since they've been watered down so much so all of that very good all of that is true I would agree with that and I would say that is the the unwitting reality right none of what you said addresses yet which we'll get to 
the moral or the purposeful dilution of language. But it clearly is a, for one reason, as you were saying that I was thinking about technology, with the advent of technology, the expectation is that you answer everything faster. I remember when I began practicing law, I do a lot of contract negotiation. And contract negotiation in the old days was you mark up the contract, you stick it on an old-fashioned fax machine, and it goes through one page at a time, slow fax machine. Sometimes it would grab too many pages and you have to start all over again. Those comments go to the attorney on the other side. He reviews them. He prepares a new draft with red lines, sends it back through the fax machine. You get on the phone. You talk about it. You find your areas of difference. You eventually cobble together an agreement that uh, is a mutual agreement that meets everyone's expectations. That process was replaced by email communication, text communication, um, sending Word documents that can be redlined by either party. It's a much faster process. So when you can do the work faster, the expectations are that you get it done faster. You can no longer say, well, I wasn't at my office to receive your phone call. The client or the opposing counsel says, well, you have a cell phone, don't you? I texted you at 1 a.m. Why didn't you respond? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So the expectation, Dang, the that's pressure. That's a pretty demanding client. <laughs> well, maybe it was opposing counsel. So the expectation, though, either way, is that because we have technology and can, C-A-N, we can respond more promptly. The expectation is that we do respond more promptly. As a consequence, language we use is not so deliberate. We don't have time to even think of what would be the right word, maybe as we would if we were writing something. So you, we tend to use and repeat the same words, and eventually we do apply words to different situations that are the same. So that's a really good start to this discussion. I'll shift it now. I'll go in sequence here. Roger, now take it up a notch to discuss why why this is happening more than in, in incidental reason and more than a where we are in the culture, but now start to add some legs to it from a, is anybody trying to do anything nefarious with this? Well, maybe um, if you change the definitions of words, it's a, it's kind of like a form of power. Like the more, if you have control over what words mean, then you can, for one thing, you can manipulate what someone was saying. That's, that's kind of a tangent, but you know, it kind of, it gives you, power and control, kind of a sense of uh, independence, but not like healthy independence. <laughs> well, let's, let's, one word you said is really important and that's power, right? Clearly changing words or the meaning of words gives someone power because if he can say, <laughs> think of it from the term guilty and not guilty. If guilty now means not guilty, that means 180 degree change in outcome for the guy who was guilty. Let's think about it in the context of very modern swimming. If a man can identify as a woman, he is now able to win, quote unquote, to win races because his competition is much easier. Now, we might call him a wimp or a coward for doing such a thing, and I think everybody knows in their heart of hearts that that is cowardly. But on the surface, which seems to be the only thing that matters to this man, dressed as a woman and and wearing a woman's bathing suit, he has the desire to win because he would never... (laughs) You're laughing. I mean, it's gross, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, it's gross. gross. But he has made it appear that he's changed reality. He hasn't, in fact, but he's changed perhaps his own 
circumstances because now he can call himself a winner, right? Notwithstanding the fact that he has beaten a weaker sex rather than competing against the men who had beaten him to a pulp in the swimming pool. I wouldn't necessarily say a weaker sex. I would say women and men are strong in different areas. And I say that physically speaking, yes, weaker. That's all um, I'm referring to yeah. is, is physically, right? So the only reason that he was able to break all of these female records is because he wasn't biologically a female. So power is one of the reasons. If we go back to that Richard Weaver quote, he says, "Language when, when language is no longer a means of arriving at the truth, he's getting to the fact that language is a tool for knowing. Language is a tool for knowledge. But when language is diluted, which is to say when the same words are used to describe very different things, not only does it they do it for power reasons, but Winnie, I'll ask you, what is the consequence for all of society and people? It's... Confusion and chaos. Very confusing. That's exactly what Satan wants by doing this. Absolutely. In fact, let me flip to a, a scripture quote that I was going to reference later, but I'll bring it up now since you did. If you go to John 8.44, and I'm going to read this in conjunction with 1 Corinthians 14.33, Jesus said this. I'll just quote him. He said, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And then jumping to the Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, right? Satan, when he lie, when you lie, it's always going to cause confusion. Think of it when you were a little kid. If you got caught, you know, stealing a cookie out of the cookie jar and you didn't want to admit to it, you lie to your parents, they know, and you work through the process and you're disciplined for it. But in the interim, it's a lot of confusion, especially if you try to carry out the lie longer and longer and you involve more people in that trap of lies. There's natural confusion, right? If I, if I started referring to Roger as Bob... <laughs> You guys Who's would be Bob? confused. Who's Bob? <laughs> That's what, me. Who the heck are you referring to? Or if you said, let's say Roger stole the Kit Kats. He took the last Kit Kat from the refrigerator. And then we said, no, Bob did it. Well, who's Bob? It becomes very, very confusing as to who did it, right? That's exactly what my baby brother does. He has... Steals Someone. Kit Kats? No, no, no. He has he has a person who does all the bad things. Ah, <laughs> His yes. name is Corky Quirk. Corky He's Quirk. very bad. <laughs> nice. So he has an alter ego. Yeah, he has an alter yeah, ego. Yeah, he does. It's interesting. So, shady. so confusion, and if we lose knowledge, we're no longer able to distinguish between what is true and what is not true. So language today is being deployed for a very different purpose. Instead of being used as a tool for arriving at knowledge of the truth, it's actually being used for what purpose, Roger? For confusion. Like, well, wait. it results in confusion, but it's but that confusion is ultimately for what purpose? Control. Control and power, which ultimately, Lynn? Oh, I was going to also add justification of your own actions or other people's actions that you secretly agree with. Justification of your own actions that are out of conformity with reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... It's very important to understand that the reason a person wants power and control at its core, it's an attempt, and a vain attempt, I would say, to conform reality 
to all of our own desires because think about it. Isn't all of this wordplay actually an admission that a person is unable to change reality? Yeah. Because if you're unable to alter reality, all you're left with is semantics, right? Changing the meaning of the words they use to describe reality. It's because they're unable to actually change marriage, sex, and race. They have to resort to changing the definition of marriage, race, and sex. They can't alter an XY chromosome for a male. They're unable to alter XX chromosome in females. So they tell us gender is instead determined by what? How you feel. (laughs) How you feel. By the way, going back to that Richard Weaver quote, if faith in language as a means of arriving at truth weakens, what is the consequence? What is likely to occur? This is a different question than the confusion question. If uh, may, may state it differently, maybe you'll answer me. If faith in language as a means of arriving at truth weakens, what is the consequence? I think it resorts to people having probably trust issues as well as having to rely more on actions to prove whatever it is. Okay, the second part of that is where I'm going. Yeah, rely the, on what? Yeah, you're – go ahead. Um, relying on actions. Actions, okay. If faith in language – is no longer helpful at arriving at the truth, then first of all, principally, we're going to look for other means of arriving at truth, right? Mm-hmm. And some of those other means are... Actions. Actions. And they're not the best of actions, right? If two people disagree, let's talk about the very basic levels. We're talking about gender and race. Ultimately, that breaks down into what? To resolve that conflict is going to result in what? What kind of action? Do we need a clock to help you? I was going to say physical action. <laughs> yeah, what kind of physical? Conflict. Yeah, physical conflict, conflict. Violence, right? War. Right? If you can't resolve things through words, it's always going to break down into some sort of violence. Yeah. Right? At the domestic level, it's going to result in violence with hand slaps and, and beating people and guns and stuff. On a national level, though, it's going to break down into war. Right? When we return, I'm going to depart from our normal routine of answering questions so that we can add one final coda to our discussion. This is Jesus and the Meteorologists. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I am your host. So I'm going to switch it up a little bit today. In order to be as thorough as possible on this topic of words, I wanted to offer an analogy to help drive home the principal idea that we've been discussing in this episode. Just as words are not the thing, but rather represent the thing, we are not the thing, but we are rather an image. See where I'm going? We represent 
the one and only thing at back of everything, whether or not we admit it. The question, however, is not whether we are the image of God or God's image. God created everyone in or as his image. The question, rather, is what kind of image are we? Okay, let me state it again. The question is not whether we are the image of God. The question is what kind of image are we? Are we a good and faithful representation or a poor and faithless reflection? Do we keep our hearts and minds renewed and clean in order to provide a good reflection of our Creator and Redeemer? Or do we allow ourselves to become corrupted and tarnished by the world to the end that our reflectionability... That's a word I made up, by the way. I don't think you can find it in the dictionary. (laughs) Reflectionability. That means describing the measure of our ability to reflect something. Look it up, by the way. And if you find the if you find me wrong, put, raise your hand and I'll address it. Uh, to the end, so if, if we tarnish or corrupt the image, the reflectionability is smudged and ineffective, right? Like a dirty mirror. The consequences of which are what? Well, a bad reflection <clears throat> or no reflection. So if you if when others look at us, they see, well, us. Right? And in a very bad condition. Whereas when your heart and mind are renewed, when you are properly oriented towards your Creator, then those who cast their gaze on us see beyond us or through us. They see a reflection of the one who made us. Right? So a clean and properly ordered mirror focuses the gaze of the observer where? To God. Well, or, you well, jumped ahead. Yes. <clears throat> to the. The original image. Right. So if you look in the mirror and the mirror is clean, it's not broken, it's not dirty. Or warped. Yeah. And it has the, you know, the paint on the back so the light doesn't go through it. You don't really see the mirror. You see what? What yourself. You see what you're wearing, what you're holding, whatever is reflecting in the mirror. Yeah. You don't even think about a, a good mirror. You're not thinking about the mirror. You look at it to see how does my shirt look, right? How does my hair look? How does this picture look that I just made? Anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. So when it's serving its purpose, that's what happens. However, if the mirror is dirty, if it is cracked, if it is warped, as Roger says, where's your attention drawn? To the mirror itself. To the mirror itself. And because the mirror is very broken and dirty, that's what you're seeing, right? You're not seeing the reflection. You're not seeing what it's created for. So in such a state, the mirror no longer serves its what? Its purpose. Its purpose. It's no longer, in other words, a tool for reflecting one's image. So just like words, when they no longer correspond to objective reality, if they lose their ability as useful tools for knowing what is true, then they become what? Useless. Useless, Useless, right? And they have – look at that high five. You can can high five louder. Yeah. By the way, that's exactly what the devil desires. And this was where I was going to place the scripture. <laughs> got ahead but of since you. Winnie got so far ahead of me, she knew it was coming. I'll quote it again to prove that the enemy desires us. The enemy is Satan, and Satan's intent is to confuse, and he confuses through lies. Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's not a mistake. It's not a, oops, maybe I'll try to do better. No, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Against this, 
we have the God of peace. God says he is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Finally, is there such a word as reflectionability? There is an ability to reflect, but there is no reflectionability. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I get a goal horn for myself for making up a new word. Or and is it that you get a goal horn, or is it that you've made up a word and contradicted a lot of what you said? Wait, how did I contradict what I said? Well, we're talking about being direct with words, and you made up a word, and now we... But I, I didn't make up a word to change a meaning. I made up a word to make it more helpful and useful, so you can know if something has the ability to reflect, it has reflection ability. <laughs> What about I'm not reflectability? <laughs> Is that a word? Yeah, that doesn't sound as cool. Wait, reflectability? Now I want to know. It's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to our icebergs, our very engaged icebergs, our producer, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what we're to do? Unless we believe what, what is, is true. true. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and you've been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. Jesus and the Meteorologists.